Our scripture lesson today is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. In the 1969 rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, I can't believe it's been 51 years since that premiered, Mary Magdalene sings a haunting melody, and many of you know it. I certainly won't sing it, but you recognize the lyrics. I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to move him. He's a man, he's just a man, and I've known so many men before in very many ways. He's just one more. But he's not just one more, is he? At another place in that rock opera, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who are you? What have you sacrificed? Jesus Christ, superstar, who are you? Are you who they say you are? Who is Jesus Christ? What do we mean when we stand together in this place or in our homes and affirm together our faith in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? Last Sunday I started a six-part sermon series based on the Apostles' Creed to help us stop and think for just a little while about these two familiar words that we repeat Sunday after Sunday. And we began by looking at the phrase, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker or creator of heaven and earth. And this week we look at the statement that follows that one, the next statement, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Again, let me reiterate the significance, and we talked about this last week, the significance of right beliefs. Right beliefs are a foundation for right living, and wrong beliefs can sometimes lead to harmful and destructive actions. I'm thinking of a wrong belief that has had so many terrible consequences across the centuries and is still haunting us. The wrong belief that some folks in this world are superior to others. In the 8th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus said to some of the Jewish folk who had believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in the 20th chapter of John's Gospel, the writer declares, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What we believe is important. And it's also important that from time to time we examine our beliefs. We look at them closely. I believe in Jesus Christ. 
There's a story that's been around for a few decades now. I still like it. It's in Detroit, Michigan. And there was a sightseeing bus, and it was rolling along the streets there. And there was a woman on the bus. She was just so excited. It was her first trip, her first time in, in Detroit, and she just just beside herself. And the driver said, as he was going along and pointing out places of interest, he said, right over there is the Dodge home. John Dodge asked the eager woman. No, Horace Dodge. Out Jefferson Avenue, they drove a little while, and the driver said, and on the right, you'll see the Ford home. She said, Henry Ford? He said, no, Edsel Ford. So the bus rolled on out Jefferson Avenue, and presently the driver said, and on our left, we have the Christ Church. When no comment was heard, the driver turned around and said, well, sister, go ahead. You can't be wrong all the time. The Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible has the words Jesus Christ in, in bold type and beside them by way of definition these words. The person, personal name of the one whose title Christ or the Christ gave its name to the Christian religion. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua, one more or more fully Yehoshua, which means Yahweh. God is salvation or God saves or God will save. Matthew found this especially helpful in his gospel narrative. Chapter 1, verse 21, the angel is saying to Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus was a fairly common name at that particular time in Jewish history. The prominent historian of that era, era, or one of the prominent historians, Josephus, mentions 19 persons called Jesus in his writings alone. And perhaps the frequent use of the name reflected a rising tide of nationalism in that day, with many couples naming their sons Jesus in hopes that he would be the one to help them overthrow the empire, the mighty Roman Empire. In order to distinguish their master from others of the same name, the disciples had various phrases such as Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus son of David. None of these descriptive titles survived for very long in the Greek-speaking Gentile Christianity. The Gentile church preferred words with a theological connotation. Even before the period of Paul's missionary activity, the title Christ had tended to become a proper name, either in the usual form of Jesus Christ or sometimes reversing that Christ Jesus. Christ excuse me, is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah and it means the anointed one. Throughout the later Christian church, in all of the groups and denominations that have made up the church across the centuries, Jesus Christ has been used as the proper name of Jesus. And I think of the song, kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. And in Jesus Christ, his only son. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, an area that was named for the current Caesar, and of course, he was the big boy on the block, so his name came first, and then Herod Philip, so Caesarea Philippi, and he came into this area. And they said, he asked 
Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets who has risen from the dead. But Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, never at a loss for words, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. We Christians believe that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is the first and only Son of God, God the Father Almighty. Christ is, according to these words that Paul wrote to the Colossians, such a beautiful description of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John's gospel confirms this notion of God's Son, God's only Son having pre-existed and in fact having been involved in the creation itself prior to his advent or prior to his coming to this earth. He was in the beginning with God. And these words from the prologue to John's gospel, I think one of the most beautiful passages in all the scripture. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In response to his disciple Philip's request, Lord, show us the Father, Jesus said, I've been with you this long, Philip, and yet you do not know me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, the apostle was writing his first letter to the church at Corinth, 12th chapter and 3rd verse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that we've given him the controlling share of our lives. We've put him in charge. We're willing to proclaim him as our ruler and live in obedience to his commands. And his commands, the first two, the most important two, according to Jesus shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. And these two are actually so intertwined that it's difficult to separate them. We're often eager to embrace Jesus as Savior. We want to know that all is well here, and that all will be well when we leave this world. But to embrace him as Lord, to let him be in charge of everything in our life, all that we have and all that we are, career, family, time, and yes, even money. The late Bishop Arthur J. Moore is often quoted as having said, Jesus is either a Lord of all or not at all. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. How could Jesus be fully human and fully divine at the same time? There's so much mystery here. And so many times in our faith, I know I'm guilty of this. We want to explain it all. We want it all laid out in in black and white. We want it made plain. And it's hard sometimes to live with, with some mystery, to know that we don't get all of it. It's a mystery. Fully human, fully divine at the same time. But this 
portion of the creed provides us with some insight into what this is all about, insight into the mystery, conceived by the divine, by the Holy Spirit, yet born of a flesh and blood woman, God and mortals uniquely together, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. A few minutes ago, I spoke about the name of Jesus. And I find it interesting when we consider how few times Jesus was called Jesus bar Joseph or Jesus son of Joseph. It was a common practice back in that day to name someone, to call them in that way. Simon bar Jonah, Simon son of John. No doubt Joseph was a factor and influence in Jesus' earthly life. But in a unique way, in a special way, beyond description, really the son of God. And that determined more than anything else who he is today. Conceived by spirit, born of woman, Jesus was the God mortal together. E. Stanley Jones, a theologian, a writer of the early, earlier century, of the 20th century, said, for we need someone who is like us to be our example, but we need someone who is unlike us to be our redeemer. If he were only like us, he could only be our example. If he would be only unlike us, he could only be our redeemer. But we need him to be both example and redeemer. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as God's children. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. There's an old, old story that, that comes from somewhere in France. And it helps with the whys, or it helps me with the whys and the wherefores of this particular phrase in a significant way. It seems that two angels had been off on divine business while Jesus was spending his time on earth. And they had not seen what happened to him here. They saw him shortly after his return to heaven and asked him what had happened during his journey on earth. He told them how he had been born into the home of a construction worker and how he had lived there for most of his life before going into his full-time public ministry, how he had been widely heard and loudly acclaimed at first, but how the leaders had gradually begun to slip away from him and the critics began to gather in numbers and in power. Finally, Abel and agreeing to put him to death. They put him to death on the cross as a common criminal, as a revolutionary, and after several agonizing hours he died. And after having heard this recital, one of the angels said, My Lord, was there no other way? And he said there was no other way. Now at this point, there used to be a phrase in the creed that we no longer use. He descended into hell. This was the last phrase added to the creed. And in 1905, this phrase was dropped from the then Methodist hymnal. American Methodists eliminated it. Why? Possibly because of a heresy. There's something called docetism, which denied the humanity of Christ. And they just could not cope with the idea of a perfect God in hell of all places. There's a possibility, though, that just might commend this phrase to us. 
And that is that there is no length or breadth or height or depth to which Jesus would not go on our behalf. I think sometimes that maybe we need to quit being so picky and put this phrase back in. I think there is much to commend it. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And the resurrection is the key to who we are and why we're here even even today. The key to our faith. Where would we be? What chance would hope have in this world apart from that resurrection? But Stanley Jones writes, we must not depend so much on the resurrection, but on the resurrected Christ. And not on the resurrected Christ in the past, but our actual living and present Christ through whom and in whom we experience God even now. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Christ ascended so that the Holy Spirit might descend and be sent and be present, make Christ present in this world even today. Jesus Christ returned to where he came from. He assumed a favored position at the right hand of God, but he did not leave us alone or comfortless. And will come again to judge the quick and the dead or the living and the dead. A youth pastor asked his class one Sunday evening, tell me who the quick and the dead are. And one young man raised his hand and said, the quick are those who get off the tracks in time before the train comes, and the dead are those who don't. Well, there you have it. The living and the dead, our Savior will be judge of all. And were it not, not for his love and his mercy and his grace... Who would have a chance? Young artist in Rome possessed great talent, and he was urged by all of his friends to establish a studio of his own. He refused, saying, No, I found my master, and I want to paint like Raphael, and to do that I must be near him so that I may study his method and catch his spirit and listen to his instruction. I have no other ambition than to be like him. Can we have any greater ambition than to be like our master? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Let me circle back around for just a moment to the song we talked about earlier. I don't know how to love him. Maybe we start by loving all of those for whom he died. Amen. Amen.